Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Social Suplex Special. I am with Greg of, of Great Match Generator, and he has some credentials of his own that he would like to share. Um, hey, uh, yeah, this is Greg, uh, one of Danny's co-hosts of Great Match Generator podcast. Um, and we're going to be talking about some investment stuff today. Uh, and so my background is that I have a social studies education degree. Um, so I've taught a little bit about economics in the classroom. And then I also worked for a large investment company for about 10 years. So we're going to be talking about stocks today. Yes, and we have a very special guest here, um, one of the preeminent independent um, stock analysts of wrestling, and of he makes sense of this whole thing, WrestleNomics Radio on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Um, he, he is doing like five or six interviews at this point. He's probably talked out... Uh, enough about this but i'm gracious enough to have my friend brandon thurston i'm so used to calling you brandon howard at this point yeah. it's so funny yes thank you for having me it's good to, good to be with you danny and greg i uh, i have not done any interviews today i was pretty exhausted though after i got done uh being quizzed by wade keller and sean rossap but yeah but yeah i'm uh, i'm i'm re-energized today Yes, and you get to speak to an old friend like me, so so it's always good to be re-energized by that. And how did this deal come about um, with WWE and Peacock? Well, uh, about a year ago, we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the exit of former WWE co-presidents, George Barris and Michelle Wilson, who uh, were the minds behind the WWE Network. And uh, you know, Vince McMahon, the CEO of WWE, decided that he wanted to uh, sell the rights to to the network content, including at least the pay-per-views, to a uh, a streaming a major streaming service um, that was opposed to the the strategy of of Barris and Wilson, and uh, they were let go as a result. Uh, it looked like Vince himself was doing a deal with ESPN, at least discussing it with ESPN, possibly to put the pay-per-views and or all the network content on ESPN Plus, much like UFC has done. Uh, but the pandemic came and seemed to have interrupted that in early 2020. And uh, then Nick Khan was hired by WWE in August. Nick Khan had already uh, helped WWE complete their current US TV deals for Raw and SmackDown with uh, NBC Universal, the parent of USA Network, and Fox for SmackDown. And uh, the talk has been, you know, on earnings calls uh, really ever since the beginning of the year. That that's the strategy. Is that Vince uh, would, would complete a transformative deal to to continue to grow the, the revenue of, of the network, which uh, just looking at it since this deal has come down, uh, the, net, the U.S. based revenue from the network was pretty stagnant for about four years. It, it peaked in 2018, but now it's about down back to the level of 2017 or so. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I always thought, you know, the, the major suitors here for the network content rights would be ESPN Plus, but if not ESPN Plus, then maybe Peacock. Peacock makes a lot of sense because obviously it's owned by NBC Universal. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, it, I didn't know. Uh, I guess I felt like I wasn't too confident that a deal would happen um, as quick as it did. But uh, 
but it, it has happened, and uh, it, this is the first deal that Nick Khan, Nick Khan has gotten done. His, his, his title is president and chief revenue officer. So that is, you know, this is the first big example of what Nikon has really been brought into the company to do is to, to negotiate favorable media rights deals for WWE. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, this will be only in the U.S. For international subscribers, nothing changes for you. But for U.S. subscribers of the W Network, you will merely have a Peacock Premium subscription beginning in March. And it will include, uh, yes, The Office, Little House on the Prairie, uh, Murder, She Wrote, and lots of other things, and all of the W Network content, including the live pay-per-views. A, a more ringing endorsement I have never heard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Greg, do you have a question for Brandon? Not necessarily questions. Um, basically, Danny and I live uh, close to each other, and he came over the other day uh, when this news kind of broke. And uh, I went off on a bit of a rant, uh, and one thing led to another. And he went, "Why don't you, why don't you come and say all that on the on this podcast I'm doing?" Um, so I have a whole bunch of talking points, um, just kind of I'm willing to go off the cuff on. Um, I do think it's a really, really interesting deal. I think in the short term, it's going to be really beneficial for everyone. Um, it's going to be beneficial, obviously, for the fans. We get all the content for a cheaper price. Um, I know I probably won't care about ads, so I'll just go with that ad-free option, which means I'll be getting it for half price. Um, and then it's good for WWE, obviously, because they just made a billion dollars. <laughs> um, and then it's really good for Peacock, because I think Danny and I were talking about how the WWE arguably has the largest single content library in the world. If you just look at it in terms of sheer hours of content for like one property, like not comparing it to Disney Plus, but comparing it to say Star Wars or um, The Simpsons or whatever, like as a property, there is more hours of content there on that WWE network than in any other property in the world. So that is what NBC is acquiring is just hours and hours, countless hours of content. Um, they're also acquiring another, what, million and change, we'll call it, be generous and call it a million and a half viewers. Um, and eyeballs are where it's at. I think that was kind of the theme of what I was ranting about when I was talking to Danny is it's always about eyeballs. How many eyeballs are you getting? So although MB, uh, NBC currently is getting, I think, what, uh, 26 million, I think, last figure I heard, subscribers through Peacock. Um, hey, another one and a half million isn't anything to laugh at. So everybody's getting some positives out of this. Um, but I think there's also some negatives. Uh, for the fans, we have no power. Um, and we're going to end up with even less moving forward. The WWE isn't going to care, and NBC certainly isn't going to care um, if 
the WWE fan base is only, you know, one twentieth of their viewers, they're not gonna really care about us. I I said if uh, they force WWE to make a really dumb decision on TV, and the entire WWE audience decides in mass we're gonna just quit Peacock and leave. Will NBC really miss that million plus out of 26 million? Probably not. And that would take a full concerted effort on the fan base. So we have no power. Um, Vince is obviously losing power. So just from his personal standpoint, I'm sure that bugs him. Um, And then NBC, I think they overpaid. I still don't think that it's worth a billion dollars, but they did make out better than Fox because instead of one show, they're getting that whole library for a a billion. So those are kind of the pros and cons I saw. Brandon, your thoughts? Um, so I, I I guess we could talk about how you know what what is this worth to uh what is the value here for nbc universal i think it's pretty clear what the value is for wwe they had stagnant revenue for a, a number of years consecutively and this is a uh a deal that will average 200 million dollars a year it probably has guaranteed escalators in it so it guarantees revenue growth in an area that was not growing um it probably lowers some expense uh it might reduce a uh, light shed which is an investment firm put out a, a good article uh yesterday that I just read today, pointing out that it might reduce the amount of ad revenue that WWE uh, is, is able to sell on the network. But uh, but overall, it will, will gain in revenue and will, this will probably you know cause an increase in operating income, which is, just means that this will make WWE more profitable. Um, but for NBC Universal, right, they're, they're paying, why would they pay uh, more, you know, $200 million a year for a set of subscribers who were only providing around $135 million a year, and they're going to charge them, <clears throat> they're going to charge them uh, the same price or, or less uh, compared to what they were previously being charged. Right? You can stay on for $9.99, or you can accept ads and uh, have your subscription for $4.99. So why, why would uh, NBC Universal pay in excess uh, for, for the content library and for the pay-per-views? And I think the answer is uh, NBC Universal is a is a you know a company that operates a number of cable networks uh, among other things, but they are owned so they're in the cable TV business and the and the broadcast TV business with NBC. Uh, but they are owned by Comcast, which uh, is a is a company that provides cable TV services among other things. <clears throat> and I think uh, you know, the cable TV business is probably still highly profitable. But it's but it's clearly declining uh, and has been for a number of years here as people cut the cord. And, uh, you know, we see uh, you can probably easily find statistics showing you uh, the number of U.S. homes uh, that uh, have cable over time. And that number is declining and there's no real end in sight to to where where that's going to go. Um, So these major media companies have to make a play into streaming if they want to survive in the future. And. I'm sure Peacock, uh, if you just isolated its business, is not profitable now or this year or for the next few years, at least probably. Um, but 
it's it's all a hedge against I, I'm a giant cable company, I'm profitable, but my business is waning. And and what do I need to do about that is I need to chase after where the watch time is, which is increasingly in streaming. So uh, it, it's it's a long investment. You have to give it as a long investment uh, that this this content uh, could be more valuable to to Peacock than it is to WWE. Um, it's uh, to to uh, Greg's point about um, how this uh, this takes this is a guaranteed revenue source. So this sort of takes some of the. Um, the power or control or um, you know some sort of the levers that fans would have if if fans canceled the W network you know the, the W would definitely take notice of that if a ton, if a ton of fans canceled the, their uh, Peacock Premium subscription maybe it doesn't mean as much because all, all that that revenue that they're getting is guaranteed so and, and I think that's a um, a a theme that has been true over time in the last uh, at least five years since I've been following the you know the business of W closely um, you know I, I I often, you know, explain it like this, that, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I, I was watching uh, WF Superstars on my local Fox affiliate, um, and that was a paid programming slot. The WF had to pay to, to basically run an infomercial every, uh, I think it was every, every Saturday, and they did that. They, they in, incurred that expense so that they could sell pay-per-views and so they could sell tickets and maybe some merchandise, and, uh, and now... The, the the business and this happened gradually over time, but now the business has totally been turned upside down in that the the revenue stream that WWE makes the most money from is the thing that they used to pay for. It, it is the TV shows. Uh, it is Raw and SmackDown that that generates about half of WWE's revenue, um, and that's uh, not something that's dependent on on viewership. Um, that's guaranteed and escalating over time. WWE's going to make more money. For Raw and SmackDown next year than they did this year, uh, because that's just the nature of the contracts. And uh, and a, a, a 100 million dollar per year deal with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia gives them even more guaranteed money that is not really dependent on any consumer behavior. It's dependent on another contract from a major business partner. So uh, it's. And then you know, the, the dynamic gets especially uh, you know, interesting when you, when you think about Vince McMahon, who's uh, always said to be you know, out of touch. And I think Vince McMahon is uh, is degrading the quality of the content through his execution of uh, of, of of creative. He's not developing stars. Uh, the I I want to do a study into this, but the the wrestlers who are you know prominently featured seem to be aging. You know, we see things like Goldberg being depended on and. Uh, Brock Lesnar hasn't been around for a while, but Brock Lesnar is well over 40 now, and um, Edge is being brought back as well. But um, and those guys are big stars, but they they are not the future. Um, so but anyway, the you know WWE is not uh, doing much to create stars, and not doing much to increase its popularity. In fact, I I see a number of metrics that uh, convincingly I I, I uh, think show that. WWE's popularity since about 2017 has been uh, on a consistent decline. Um, so fans are checking out somewhat. Um, that said, I think that I, I did a study that will come out on Monday uh, measuring the net promoter scores. So if, if people don't know what a net promoter score is, it's basically you, you do a survey 
and you, and you ask people uh, how likely on a scale, on a numbered scale, uh, they would be to recommend a, a product to, to a friend or family member. And then you do some math and you come up with a, either a positive or a negative net promoter score. Um, but what I found, uh, and I did this through uh, a Facebook ad, so I was hopefully not capturing people who are just uh, in, my, in my immediate social media surroundings that way. But I found that uh, people felt uh, still positively about Raw and SmackDown, among the people who are still watching it, at least. The people who are surviving and still watching it uh, on an occasional or regular basis still feel somewhat positively about it. Not as positively as the people who watch AEW Dynamite feel about that program, but it, it's at least not a negative uh, at this point. So, um, yeah, the uh, the popularity of the, of the content has declined, and I think the I, I I would like to study net promoter score over time, so I don't know what the trend is like, but I would I would imagine you, that 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 you know, you know, go ahead. Um, I was just going to ask, did you? To, to the point you were just making a second ago, um, did you see or hear the news today about um, WWE pushing those older stars for WrestleMania this year? Um, apparently some insider uh, claimed that the outcome of the Royal Rumble is really going to upset the fans because the implication was they're going to be pushing old old stars like Cena, Goldberg, uh, Undertaker might be coming back again. Uh, down the line, they're going after Rock. Um, but basically, they found out that the old stars popped a rating. And it's like, well, no, duh, in a vacuum, I, of course they did, because you haven't built any new stars. <laughs> um, but that's all they're looking at is in a vacuum, it pops a rating. So they're going all in on these old superstars and leaving all their young guys in the dust, not realizing that, like, that's not sustainable. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, WWE roster programs is a, is a frustrating experience for, for a lot of fans. And, uh, and I think, uh, you know, I think this, this, the popularity of the product could be a lot more popular than it is there's the ticket sales could be in, 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 a, in a year where there are ticket sales could be a lot higher than what they are their merchandise sales could be a lot higher than what they are their their w network subscribers could be a lot higher than what they are but none of that is going to change while Vince McMahon is the head of creative um i think the last at least the last five years and maybe the last 20 years i think have, have shown that uh you know, things don't creatively get better if anything they get slightly worse over time and uh it's going to be this way probably un until you know Vince McMahon is no longer able to work and uh, who knows w when that is um and uh so it's um it's it's an increasing portion and, and I think it's now a majority and it's with, with this deal with the Peacock deal it's an it's an even greater majority of their revenue comes not from fans not from immediate decisions that are being made by consumers or wrestling fans but it's being it's an increasing majority of, of their revenues comes from business partners, not without without consumers, without viewers, without ticket goers, you know, without wrestling fans. Obviously, they have no business, but it takes a lot longer of a time to feel those effects. And uh, it, so it, it, would, it would behoove WWE to have uh, a creative leadership that is really in touch with how fans feel and, and what sort of trends to listen to and what sort of trends 
to to you know listen to more moderately and what sort of trends to not take that seriously. And I, I think they clearly don't have that, and I don't know when when they will. Yeah, yeah, it's really unfortunate how they don't seem to follow trends all that well. And we were also talking, me and Greg, about the super providers. Um, The idea of like how these providers like Disney, like CBS and Viacom and, and with NBC being Peacock of having these super providers and basically this customization coming at a price of privacy and greg you might want to expand more on it yeah yeah um just before i go into all that um i was just thinking to one of brandon's other points earlier i was watching excuse me i was watching uh philip defranco who i'm not sure if you know he's a uh youtuber who does news and he was talking about how um, they predict <clears throat> that people are going to be cutting the cord even more moving forward. I think that's pretty obvious. Um, but that they're expecting a 30 plus percent decrease in cable subscriptions, I think, within even the next year. And that is a massive drop off because um, I think it only went down single digits over the last couple years so this they're expecting it to just completely plummet as people really go towards these streaming services um and more importantly uh just phil has a uh younger audience i guess you could say it skews younger and he put out some polls and the the general consensus was the the younger generations grew up either without cable or um, with limited cable, um, especially once they became adults. They just, you know, maybe their parents had cable in the house growing up, but once they became an adult, a lot of millennials and Gen Z and whatnot, they didn't have cable. They didn't bother with getting cable they just relied on a streaming service or whatever and meanwhile the older generations almost all of them had cable so there's this kind of generation gap between is this like just one of the expenses of life or isn't it and that really got me thinking um and and this was kind of the bulk of the rant i went off with tanny uh was the history of kind of TV and cable in particular. Um, and I'm going to get some of my numbers and dates wrong, but the the general point is what I'm trying to make here. Um, TV, you know, gains popularity uh, in the 40s. And by the 50s, we have black and white TV in most homes with the three networks, ABC, CBS, NBC. And this came from the radios. Now, I saw a figure the other day that in 1968, 6.5% of American households had cable or, you know, these emerging cable stations. 
that were coming about. Ten years later, in the late 70s, 1978, only there was only a 1% increase. So it only went up to 7.5%. So cable was very slow to adopt. But then we saw this boom period in the 80s where um, you, you had a million niche cable channels sprouting up from MTV to Comedy Central, Nickelodeon, whatever your niche was, there was a channel coming around. And the cable companies were scrambling to kind of do this a la carte at first. So that's where you got, um, Danny's a little younger than me, so he might not remember, but you were inundated on TV with ads for call your local cable provider and request this channel because it was very a la carte at the time. By the late 80s, early 90s, the cable providers had kind of standardized their lineups. Um, and by the way, the I Want My MTV campaign was definitely the most popular, I think, of those campaigns. Um, but yeah, these channel lineups had kind of standardized by the 90s. And at that point, the cable providers were relying on ratings to tell them which channels were being watched and they should, you know, promote and which channels weren't and they should drop. And that's, you know, the rise of Nielsen. And again, we're talking about eyeballs. It's all about eyeballs. So we're measuring eyeballs in terms of ratings. Well, by the early 2000s, the internet finally started to get fast enough and in most households that um, you could stream. And I would say around 20, well, 2008-ish, I remember Netflix really starting the their streaming platforms. Um, what was the WWE Network? What was it, 2014? 2014, yeah. So it was, it was a little after that. Um, I think some different platforms had were experimenting with streaming, but not a full-blown network the way WWE did. Um, and with these streaming platforms, they they had to get content. And I remember Netflix operated at a loss for years because they were doing basically what NBC did with WWE Network here. They gave a bunch of money to acquire rights to throw this content on their platform, and then they charged a way too low rate to their consumers to access it. And so they weren't profitable for a long time because they were playing this kind of long game. And at least in my opinion, it worked because Netflix became the colloquial standard. I mean, Netflix and chill is a thing in the you know public lexicon. Um, so as these streaming services rose, and, and Netflix in particular, um, again, they were gobbling up this content, and then they started realizing they could just make their own content. And that would be cheaper than trying to buy other people's. And, and that's what I think Netflix started doing 
once they had gotten profitable um because they realized pretty quick that they had used the content to get the eyeballs and once they had the eyeballs now they could reverse that power dynamic and go hey if you want your content seen you got to I don't think they got people to pay them, but you got to charge a lower price for us to access your content now. And that's when they started to be profitable. But then on top of it, they were like, hey, we could just make our own content, too. And Netflix Studios started cranking stuff out. Uh, Were were you going to say something, Brandon? I think that was Danny. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, And... Now, what we're seeing is that these streaming platforms are starting to gobble up the content again um, based on properties. So Netflix is doing its own thing. They're going to make their own stuff. And I think they're, they're getting more or less out of the buying content game. But all these other services, especially for the big networks, your CBS, NBC, Fox, and ABC, which is really just Disney. Um, they're buying up content again. They're spending all their and seemingly endless capital on buying this content, similar to Netflix's original long game, thinking that down the line, we can use this content to get eyeballs, and then we can use the capital of those eyeballs to uh, either lower prices or or make money off of it and that's where danny was talking about super providers so this is what i would call disney plus a super provider it's a platform that you go to for different um properties so you have star wars on there now you have simpsons on there now you have um what what are some of the other disney properties they slapped up there recently i'm I'm spacing here but Whatever. And that's what I envision. Yeah. Uh, That's what I envision moving forward. The same way cable in the late 80s and into the 90s had stations, I think instead of cable companies, you're now going to have these streaming platforms that have channels on them. So you'll go onto Peacock, right? And there, there might be an office channel, there might be a wrestling channel, or whatever the, the case may be. So you as a consumer are just going to kind of say, all right, I want to watch wrestling today. And you're going to log on, you know, say you have Peacock, I'm going to log on to Peacock, and I'm going to go to the wrestling channel, which is really just the WWE network. And I'm going to be able to, instead of those static lineups where I just had to tune in at eight o'clock to see a show, I'm going to be able to access it whenever I feel like now on demand. Do I want to watch old stuff, new stuff, um, WWE or WCW or ECW? What do I want as the customer? I'm going to be able to do and watch whatever I want. Now in the short term, what we were talking about is This is really good for WWE because instead of saying we have a million plus subscribers, they're technically going to be able to say, hey, we're on Peacock in front of 26 million people. (laughs) 
And so, again, going back, the the 80s and 90s, cable was run by ads, right? So the ratings would get you an advertiser. And if you had high ratings, you could charge more for those ads because you were in front of more eyeballs. But now uh, it, that kind of dynamic is switching. Um, and it's not about ratings anymore. So I think WWE is going to be able to take advantage of the inaccuracy of our metrics to say, hey, we're in front of 26 million. We can charge more to these advertisers. I think they're going to be able to increase their ad revenue, too, on top of all this other stuff that we've talked about. But down the line, what I think is going to happen is instead of ratings in the traditional sense like we have in cable, we're going to be able to parse out what people are watching. So we're going to be able to say, hey, Danny logged on to Peacock, but he watched wrestling content. Um, whereas, you know, Joe X over here was only watching The Office, right? And then WWE isn't going to be able to make that ploy anymore. So down the line, I, I think we're going to end up basically back where we started with the cable model. It's just going to be more customized. You're going to be able to go on and select what you want instead of having to go to a channel. It's kind of based around what you want, but you're at the whim of the the kind of guide, you know, the, the channel and uh, lineup. But to the point Danny was making, that's going to come at the cost of privacy to the consumer. Because as they track your viewing habits, they're going to know a lot about you that you may or may not want them to know. So consumers down the line are going to have to struggle with the idea of loss of privacy. But what we're going to be getting is customized, on-demand content at our fingertips, which is really cool. Brandon, your thoughts? Um, yeah, I think uh, over time we're going to be increasingly customized, be increasingly uh, customized marketing messages. We see some of that already. I mean, part of the, the value of acquiring the network is... Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Maybe they... Uh... Uh, and then hopefully we'll get some some, um, some questions or some answers about this on Thursday when W has its earnings call. Um, whether or not uh, NBC Universal is acquiring the data that goes along with the network, I would get I would imagine that they get that they will um, get the data. So that's been something that's been talked about uh, on recent earnings calls about uh, whether or not it's important to W to, to maintain that data. And um, it's, it's something that uh, Barrios hyped a lot. And uh, after Barrios was gone, I think Vince said that he felt that it was overemphasized. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's, 
it's not a subject that I understand greatly as far as the, the power of the data, despite uh, having Excel and Google Sheets open at all times on my laptop. Uh, I, the value of, of data in the media economy is not something that I understand well, but uh, I understand it can be used to, to basically match up, you know, that we can use its data and combine it with uh, the data of NBC Universal, and it'll help NBC Universal uh, identify you or me throughout our uh, our consumer behavior and so that we can be you know hit with advertising that is more effective to us um i know i i kind of feel uh apprehensive about advertising in general i think a lot of the problems that we are uh, dealing with in the world are uh, on, on, a, on a i guess as far as polarization and um and things like that are, are under the underlying factor in that is is the ad model that incentivizes content to be outrageous and to be to affirm or to right. in, enrage an audience that's i mean that and then we have algorithms on top of that that are built to find that content and serve it to people uh, and through forms of like social media like facebook and twitter and youtube so um yeah i think and I, and yeah. to find a susceptible audience too for sure yeah and so i think you know sort of how the um you know, nicotine is the uh, the the underlying addictive element of of, of tobacco. Uh, it's it's the content that that may cause people to uh, whatever become radicalized or do violent things. But it's it's the ad model, it's the nicotine that uh, is really propelling the whole process. Right. It keeps people in their bubbles. Um, if if you can just customize your life to what you like, it, you're never going to be exposed to anything outside of that. Right. And and it, it goes to the big, more philosophical conversation, which we're not having today. <laughs> uh, we're here just to talk economics of wrestling, but what do you see WWE's future eventually being with this whole sort of being on Peacock um, how many hours of the network is going to be on there? Because my main concern is, oh, all, all the older content is going to go to shit when, when, when this happens because they're not going to care about an old episode of World Class. I, I, the impression I have is that it's all going to be there. I would, I would guess that it, that it will be. I've heard some skepticism on that and I don't know, maybe I just don't know enough about how these other streaming services work, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but it, when I go through, so I, I do have access to HBO Max and a number of other, you know, Disney Plus and, and, and Netflix and all this stuff. I rarely use them myself, but um, and when I have browsed through them, you see a lot of stuff that's, you know, the, the HBO Max app is pretty impressive, the, the library and just, just the nooks and yeah. things you can go into to find stuff that you're like, wow, this is on here. Like, I, so... It wouldn't. I know some people are skeptical that you're, they're really going to put like world class on Peacock and and Mid South and all this other stuff and, and Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I think it will be, and that that's the impression that I have. And um, the vibe that I'm getting from this deal so far is that you know it's 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 taking care of the customers. I think they realize that they couldn't um, make this make the content on Peacock, the WWE Network content on Peacock, uh, mean that customers were, were going to be charged more than what they were being charged in the first place. So I, do, I think in that same vein, they're not going to uh, give you less content than you had in the first place. Not going to take 
content away that you used to have access to. I could be wrong. Right. We'll see what happens uh, in March when when uh, this stuff really appears uh, on on Peacock. And I've even heard uh, you know people who have some some better understanding of uh, you know I, IT stuff how it'll just be sort of an RSS feed or something like that that uh, that Peacock will draw the network from. So it it, it may in fact be the, be the very same uh, library. Oh wow! And 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 um. I mean. The- the network's going to still exist because you, you figure this is only happening. Still doing it internationally. Yeah. Yeah. So international, it's going to still going to exist on a server somewhere. So. Yeah, and, and and having this on Peacock is not exactly unprecedented. Like the Rogers has has hosted um, the W Network only through their cable uh, service for a number of years in Canada, and uh, I, th- I think since at least uh, the last several months, uh, Sony in India. Through Sony Live has hosted um, the right. W Network in India, so I, I think this is Sony. along the same lines. Um, I forget. What, yeah, I forgot. What I was just about to say, um, but about the fe- oh, I was just gonna, I was gonna say that the future moving forward, I, I think. I don't think Peacock's going to initially, at least, um, eliminate any content. I think you're going to get everything. But my fear for Vince, especially in the future, is that loss of control. If he wants to censor something or or take it off and NBC says, now we're going to leave it up or vice versa, if he wants... um, to leave something up and they're like, no, 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 this is, you know, controversial or whatever. He's not going to have that control anymore. It's going to be NBC's call. Uh, And being the kind of control freak that Vince is, I can see that being a really big problem. Um, One other thing I know Danny and I talked about is Vince is going to have to really play political games because SmackDown is still owned by Fox. Backstage is still owned by Fox. He still has this deep connection with Fox. And now he's jumping into the NBC pool kind of, you know, with both feet. How it, how do you negotiate that? You know, what about the most recent episode of SmackDown? When can that when does Fox's rights to that end? And then it's allowed to go up onto NBC's streaming platform. Um, I, I believe WWE uh, has the rights after 30 days. So the, the content is broadcast uh, throughout the world and you know, through its, its many media partners. You know, SmackDown is broadcast, for example, through Fox. Uh, Raw is broadcast through US, USA Network. Uh, and those broadcasters, those distributors, have the rights to it for 30 days. After 30 days... It belongs to WWE to do with it with whatever they like. Which yeah. In that case, I think they could put it on on Peacock. But I still think it's gonna create issues down the line. Um, just, I mean, we we even saw the reports today are ESPN is furious because uh, I guess they were in play for the network in some way, shape, or form. Um, and now they feel slighted, so they're not going to cover WWE anymore, and that starts the rumors that maybe they'll counter by starting to cover AEW. I don't know about all that, but um, 
if if like Fox wants to be spiteful too, and you know, hey, all we got for a billion dollars over five years was this TV show, and these guys for a billion dollars over five years got a catalog. Um, maybe we're gonna start pulling tricks or doing whatever. Like I, I just think Vince is really gonna have to play his politics to get around these two massive networks fighting over his content. Well, I think um, I think Fox is fairly comfortable with, with the deal that they have with for SmackDown right now. Um, if we look at uh, at, at the at the, the ratings on, on, on Friday, um, SmackDown does uh, often in, in many weeks. I the last time I looked at this was throughout the summer, and there's a number of weeks consecutively where SmackDown was the most viewed program uh, on on Friday primetime and broadcast in the key demo. Uh, not in total audience. There's a lot of uh, broadcast primetime programs that outdo it in total audience, but in the key demo that drives advertising revenue, which is the majority of Fox broadcasts uh, revenue source besides affiliate fees. The affiliate fees, I think, are, are about a third a minority as opposed to advertising revenue, uh, which is which is maybe two, not quite two thirds because there's sort of an other category when I look at the FCC, SEC filings. But anyway, the, the point is SmackDown uh, when we talk about the the value the the value the of the fees that Fox is paying WB two hundred five million dollars on average annual value over five years that sounds like a lot of money and and it is it's it's more money than is in my bank account <laughs> but uh it's uh it's it's relatively inexpensive for Fox if if let's say they canceled SmackDown tomorrow and they wanted to replace uh you know, those two hours on Friday night with uh, two first-run dramas. Two first-run dramas, and it would cost, let's say, I think an, an average going rate to produce two first-run dramas is, say, you know, $3 million. So uh, they've got to pay $3 million for two uh, two hours. So that's $6 million. You multiply that uh, by by 52, it's $312 million. So this will already, in, in, in a year, over a year, we're in excess of what the, the cost is compared to uh, to SmackDown. On top of that, uh, you know, a, a drama series or you know scripted series would be you know probably twenty some odd weeks of first run content as opposed to year round. Uh, SmackDown is live; it's fifty two weeks a year, and it's it's probably well, it's certainly more DVR proof than than a scripted show. So, um, you know, I think I think um, Fox. Uh, Fox doesn't have a streaming service. I know they're they've got. Uh, is it Tubi that belongs to Fox? I, I can't remember, but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't yeah. know what Fox is, is is doing as far as streaming video. They uh, there's Fox Nation, of course. <laughs> that, that's out there. But uh, oh god. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe, you uh, just made, you just made a point about um, uh, non DVRable content, and I think that's another very interesting thing um you know pro wrestling can very much as much as it's acted out and scripted like scripted television it is presented very much like a live sport um and and viewed by most of its fans and whatnot as a live sport that you want to see live um daniel and i were joking about there's an element of superstition almost 
to to sports. I know when I watch, um, I'll watch a football game live, and if my team's down, I might go, man, let me change my shirt, and maybe that'll affect the outcome, right? But if if I've DVR'd the thing, it's already over. There's nothing I can do. Like people want to watch sports live, and I think they, for the most part, want to watch pro wrestling live. Um, and that's why it is you're you're right. It's a very valuable property compared to scripted, DVRable programming because you can just skip the ads in non-live programming, and then the advertisers don't want any part of you. Yeah, yeah, and that also to the uh, the communal aspect of it. Um, that's why the NFL, every trend on Twitter is the NFL. And the players' names that annoys Greg so much. <laughs> yeah, I was ranting about that the other day. I hate. I don't. I follow college football, not pro football. And every Sunday, I open up Twitter, and I can't get news. I can't get wrestling anything because it's nothing but hashtags about the the different games, the different player names. Um, it, the entire trending feed is nothing but football. And it just bugs me. Brandon, your thoughts? Uh, question? <laughs> no, we were just saying how DVR-proof wrestling is compared to football. Compared to, like, scripted TVs. Yeah. Uh, so when I hear people, uh, this is a LinkedIn story. So on... Uh, one of you know somebody was sharing the uh the, the press release or something like that or, or one of the news stories announcing the deal between WWE and Peacock, and uh, and it's interesting to watch and uh, watch the things unfold on LinkedIn because LinkedIn is a totally different uh, set of people at least you know the people that I that are in my feed compared to like uh, twi- Twitter or something, uh, so it's it looks to be you know a lot of business people or something, and somebody replied and i don't know what their intent or real tone was but somebody replied in the comments uh scripted drama or sports and uh i replied yes <laughs> it's uh wrestling so my my philosophy i think it's it's useful to think about it this way that wrestling pro wrestling is and i think it's unlike anything else in the world any any other form of of media content or entertainment it's um it, it is a hybrid between sports and uh and, and scripted whatever and uh it's it, it plays out in economics in that way in that wrestling uh, i think some people do dvr wrestling in fact about 20 percent of the people who watch AEW dynamite in the u.s watch it later on dvr because <laughs> it's going head to head with with nxt so I, I would imagine that percentage is far higher than, than the percentage of people who are watching uh, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, or whatever on, on DVR. Um, so there's there's some people who are DVRing it, but I would bet that pro wrestling is a lot more DVR proof than uh, than, than anything that's uh, scripted comedy or, or drama or reality TV for that matter. Um, so I think uh, it's 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 overlapping these two worlds in, in that way and um I, th- I think that's true in some other ways too i think it's sort of 
it's applicable to the WWE Network too, where I think uh, one of the, the miscalculations of the network strategy and the more I've been thinking about the network strategy in the last couple of days, the more confused and unsure I am about what how exactly to analyze it. But um, one of the things that I think was misunderstood by Barrios and Wilson was was just what I described it about how wrestling is is more like a sport I think than than they accounted for, and I'm sure they were uh, working in a corporate culture uh, uh, controlled by Vince McMahon that probably encouraged them to not think of it as a sport. Um, but it uh, the 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 pay per view price point I think um, on its face seems very expensive. That was Michelle Wilson's uh, uh, perception of it and the story that she tells when she started working for WWE in the late 2000s. I think 2008 or 2009 she started working for WWE and she describes uh, you know sitting down to watch a Royal Rumble is the first uh, pay per view that that she, she watched and she was. You know, in, in charge of the of the pay per view business for WWE at the time it was one of her first responsibilities, and um, she describes being confused that uh, you know people are paying sixty dollars for this, but it's it's a smaller portion of our audience who's watching. And you know, Royal Rumble would be bought by like five hundred thousand people. Compare that to their uh, TV audience, which is in the millions. So it, it it sort of doesn't make sense if you if you know, if you do sort of think about it as a um, as a uh, the team compared to team sports, where say the the audience that you have for the playoffs is certainly larger than the audience that you have for the regular season. Um, but then again, if you think about it in a, in, in terms of UFC, um, they they'll do on a really good one. Like I heard, I heard this latest UFC pay per view was bought by a million people. And when uh, if that fight, I don't know if there are you know, there are some UFC fights that do probably in, in excess of that. Now some of them actually aren't aren't that highly viewed, but um, the point is, I, th- I think w- one of the lessons I learned from these seven years of the, D- the W Network is that the it affirms to me that the, the pay per view price point is, I think, inelastic is the term, which basically means that almost no matter what you set the price at, the volume of sales doesn't change that much, or not as much as you think it would. Um, you know, and it goes all the way back to the in your house experiment where you'd had have a $15 pay-per-views, uh, which were half the price of the standard pay-per-view at the time. And it didn't exactly double sales for, you know, it's, it's not like uh, uh, the, the in your house experiment proved that, yeah, if we sell this product at a lower price, we end up uh, substantially improving our revenue. And in fact, after the first $15 pay-per-views within your house, they raised it to 20 and then after, I think, by a couple of years, so this is 95, by, by 97, they uh, were just, you know, let's screw it. We'll just charge uh, 29.95 for all of them. And uh, if anything, uh, that, that uh, improved buys. So it, it, uh, you know, buys did not, did not go down. So revenue went up because you're charging more for, for all of your pay-per-views uh, together. And then, uh, you know, at, at, now we're talking 97 where um, the – you know, WF gets a lot more popular over that time, so it's hard to read through that how much the price really mattered. But after the 2001, WWE becomes less popular, and the pay-per-view price has gradually increased again, and it doesn't seem to have any strong negative effect on the on the price or on the on the buys. So, I think what we learned through through that is that you know that gives us some evidence that the price. Uh, 
you can you can raise it, or maybe it's even underpriced. Um, and then uh, you know, the WWE Network came, and it's a great deal for fans. You cut the price of the of a pay per view essentially in one sixth, or even arguably less than that, because you're giving people not only the pay per views, but a lot of other content in addition to that, an entire library of everything that's you know everything that you can put on the WWE Network. But um, it didn't result in uh, a, a six times increase in the number of people who were consuming the pay-per-views. It resulted in a uh, maybe a an 80% increase at best in, in the number of people who were consuming the pay-per-views. So uh, WrestleMania, what, what's what's the, the maximum audience for, for a pay-per-view pre-network? It's about a million buys, which is what, what they got for the, for uh, WrestleMania. Maybe 1.1 million is, is the record yeah. worldwide. So uh, you translate that into you know, what was the peak for the W Network? It was about 1.8 million uh, subscribers worldwide. So again, only about an 80% increase, despite cutting the price into one sixth. So um, now granted, over that time, I think they decreased in popularity by 2018 or so. They were tr- probably starting to decline a bit, but but I don't think they were so le- so much less popular than they were in say 2013, the last time they did a a WrestleMania pay-per-view that did roughly 1 million buys. So the lesson to me is that the, the pay-per-view product for pro wrestling, even though it's a work, uh, is uh, is probably best valued. At least the, the handful of peak ones, like if you're WWE, say uh, WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, SummerSlam, maybe maybe one. I, th- I think Money in the Bank is, is more... Uh, popular at this point than survivor series but anyway uh, and, and i think aw has basically got it right with doing uh, a quarterly pay-per-view at 50 dollars a month or 50 dollars per event and uh that that may cut some people out and but i don't think that and i've heard this argued that well if you you know if and, and i i haven't bought an aw pay-per-view in a while either but if the price was 25 dollars rather than 50 I don't think that would double the sales. Um, you know, I, they, they're doing about a hundred thousand. I think they're doing a little less than a hundred thousand per per event. Uh, if the price point was twenty five rather than fifty, I don't think it becomes two hundred thousand. So, so I think the the appropriate price is about what it is. And um, with WWE, I don't I don't think the the strategy at this point is to try to put the genie back in the bottle and you know put WrestleMania back on an on an upcharge, but um, I think uh, maybe there was some value lost in executing the network in the way that they did. It certainly affected their TV rights deal, which which is the biggest way that it affected uh, WWE's revenue streams and profitability. But um, I think the I do buy deal. What's that? Uh, I was I was just gonna say I do buy the AEW pay per views, and I agree it's it's really good. Like I basically look at it as the only once every three months. So, yeah, to your point, even if it is a lot of money, I'm willing to do it that infrequently, especially because I think another brilliant thing AEW is doing is they're doing that kind of in-your-house model, but they're doing it for free. So we're seeing these special Dynamite episodes that are basically lower-tier pay-per-views, but they're on free TV. Um, we saw that with Winter is Coming, these the holiday special, the New Year specials. Um, they're gonna have the beach break coming up here. 
they did it with the Jericho cruises. So they're kind of giving you these lower tier pay-per-views for free. And I think that then justifies the expensive pay-per-views that you pay for later on. Yeah, and um, I think the, the, the smart thing to do at this point, especially considering how much money you're getting from TV, I think it it, it sort of raises the question about whether, you know, the, the, the tradition of, of U.S. pro wrestling is that you run your TV show, and you think back to, to the territory days, you run your TV show as inexpensively as possible. You know, if you look at those archives, uh, when you look at the tapes of Memphis and uh, Saturday Evening Wrestling, they're all in, in a TV studio, not at, all, at an arena the enormous production values and, and the, the massive LED stage that we see today. Those are, you know, that, that, that's uh, every, every week of uh, Dynamite or Raw or SmackDown costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to produce. Um, but anyway, you, you, back in the day, you would run your TV show as inexpensively as possible, and it was an infomercial to essentially promote your other revenue streams, including tickets and pay-per-view. So, um, but, but now, uh, your biggest revenue stream is TV. And... Um, AEW does make more money on a pay-per-view, on a single pay-per-view, than they do on a single episode of Dynamite. But their but but that's uh, their their TV deal is the vast majority of their revenue, I think. So, does it not make sense now, rather than to treat TV as something that is this promotional vehicle, to instead treat it as something that maybe should have a peak special um, episode every now and then to to I guess to try to. Uh, to try to produce better TV ratings that, uh, you know, that do a, a good job of uh, providing the viewership and, and whatever other values that you're providing to your TV partner. Yeah. We talked about things being DVR proof, but I think one thing the, um, the businesses didn't compensate for was streaming platforms have usernames and passwords. And I think traditionally, when you go to watch a pay-per-view, at, at worst, maybe you can have some friends over, right? And you can all sit around and watch that pay-per-view together. So the company is losing out on however many people you can fit in your house, right? Instead of me and my five friends all ordering the pay-per-view separately, we're all together in a house. However, with streaming, I could share my username and password to 20 people. And they're going to miss out on all those people, not just for one pay-per-view, but for every single month. And they didn't compensate for that. And I think a lot of streaming platforms are struggling with this, with, with sharing of credentials taking away from at least the metric of eyeballs which would be subscribers. Yeah. And I think that's really going to affect the pay-per-view down the line too, because uh, like to your point, if, if you were thinking, okay, it's going to be better to just have a subscriber base than to try and get our fan base to buy pay-per-views. Um, Pay-per-views are more, I guess, uh, sharing proof <laughs> than a subscription service. Brandon? Uh, is there a question? 
he was just explaining how pay-per-views could be sharing proof with the sharing of usernames and credentials rather than rather than how that could affect the pay-per-view business. Yeah, um, I, I think, I, I don't know, I guess I don't know enough about the, about the subject. I, I would think that the, if you look at the, um, the interfaces that I see when I turn on certain streaming services, there's all these users, the, the, uh, we open it up and you can be you know, your, yourself and there's you know, everybody in the family has their own profile. So I don't know if, if these streaming services are sort of, and maybe, and maybe part of it is that you know, I think Netflix does limit you to a certain number of screens on a certain plan or you get the, get the more expensive plan. You uh you get that you get more simultaneous screens or something. But I feel like they're they're kind of um obviously there's uh, there's an extent to which you have to combat pri- pri- piracy and uh, and uh, you know people misusing their subscriptions. But um I think I think the the, the media companies and streaming services are kind of taking into account that yes people are going to uh, to share at least within their families uh, they're going to share subscription services. Any other questions or any other things you want to get out, Greg? Or, or I, I really don't have any questions. Brandon, you're great <laughs> as always. Greg, you have anything else? I don't think so. Uh, it was a really great conversation, um, and it's going to really be interesting seeing how all this plays out moving forward. Um, from the weekly shows. Oh, one other point I was going to make is, and maybe Brandon, you have some numbers on this. Um, I think we see a lot more DVRing of pro wrestling on Wednesday nights just because two shows are going head to head. I'd be interested to see how many people are DVRing Raw and SmackDown. Um, is that closer to? A scripted show or is that closer to a live sport because it doesn't have a direct head-to-head yeah i, I don't know and that wade keller might know wade keller is usually one of us here reporting dvr viewership numbers but um i don't, I don't know and uh, I, I would guess that it's that wrestling falls somewhere in the middle that it's being dvr'd more than live sports but less than uh other programming Plug a plug plug. Brandon, plug your stuff. <laughs> I know you have a sure. lot of it. Sure, I do a podcast that comes out every Wednesday, and I've been taping it on Sundays lately. That is WrestleNomics Radio. You can find that on your podcast app by searching for WrestleNomics. Uh, WrestleNomics.com is a website that is ad-free, so it hopefully will not polarize you. Uh, it, that, that's where most of my written work is. And a lot of resources, uh, spreadsheets, charts, and graphs you'll find in the resources section. If you're wondering what were the trends of the W Network throughout its history, that's there at WrestleNomics.com, for example. Um, I have a Patreon at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics that I put uh, some mock posts up occasionally. I did, just did one uh, talking about the, this, this Peacock and, uh, and WE deal. Uh, some details in there and some comparisons and, uh, about you know, what the value is. Uh, and um, if you are a patron at patreon.com slash you get access to the to the giant wrestling viewership spreadsheet that I use to to track wrestling viewership. Um, 
You can follow WrestleNomics on Twitter at WrestleNomics. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Thurston. Used to be Farmer Thurston. I, I miss that. Um, That's Instagram. Farmer underscore Thurston. You can follow me on Twitter. Yes! Yes! <laughs> yes. Greg, your stuff. Uh, so as I mentioned at the beginning, Danny and I do the Great Match Generator podcast right here on Social Suplex, uh, where we take a look at great matches and just kind of talk about them. Um, other than that, uh, you can talk to me on Twitter at PSU Optimus, like the Transformers character. I'm also on Instagram at Wrestling Optimus, and most of my work is on my YouTube channel. Uh, which is also Wrestling Optimus, where I do a lot of uh, pro wrestling and action figure stuff. So, And you can follow me at Twitter at DJDKooks, Great Match Generator. We are recording tomorrow. I don't know if Greg's going to be on it, um, but me and Matt are at least recording tomorrow. Um, Greg, are you in or not? Just... Yeah, I was able to make today work, but tomorrow probably won't. So I, I think this might be, this is my first or second time missing a, an episode. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that that's unfortunate. But but we always have fun over at Great Match Generator, just generating the matches and watching them. But ne- but, but, but boy, next, next week it's going to be fun. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at DJDKooks. Instagram dcookiepunk43 and that will do it for us on, on the Social Suplex Podcast Network special WrestleNomics Brandon Thurston for Brandon Thurston and Greg Brown this is Danny Kukler saying sayonara